Welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. This podcast is an audio journal of my guests and I's adventures throughout the live and local music biz. Fun conversations, cool tunes, and good times will be had. My name is Mark Sterry, and I'm a 15-plus year veteran of the Twin Cities, Minnesota metro music scene. Check me out at Mark Sterry, that's S-T-A-R-Y, music.net. Also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and see live streaming of many of my performances on Periscope. My new album, White Knuckle Life, as well as my other original records, are available for download on iTunes, CD Baby, etc. This podcast drops every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. If you enjoy it, please subscribe on iTunes. It's totally free and guarantees you'll never miss an episode. Also, consider helping get the word out in the street via social media, five-star rating and review on iTunes, word of mouth, etc. Happy Thought of the Day is by Hawk a.k.a. Mike Hegstrand, of the iconic AWA WWF tag team, The Road Warriors. When we get done with you, you'll look like we set fire to your face and put it out with an axe! Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast, Episode 20. Thanks to all who listened to Episode 1 with Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. Excited for this Episode 2. Last week's gigs wrap-up. Wednesday, I played a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota. Thanks to my little friend Ella for keeping the place dancing. Thursday, Brian Johnson and myself rocked out at YZ Bar and Grill in YZ Minnesota. Always a great time jamming there with all our area friends and staff. Johnson's solo version of The Hills Are Alive with the Sound of Music needs some work, though, man. Friday, I played a solo show at Danny's in Stillwater, Minnesota. Great dinner crowd. Did a tour of all my 1970s AM gold tunes, and according to the tip jar, folks liked it. Saturday, Brian K. Johnson and myself ventured to Star Prairie, Wisconsin to jam at the annual beach party at Star Prairie Sports Bar. Great crowd. Awesome to see our friends, Dustin, Hack, Amy, Andrew, Emily, Amanda, Steve, Don, Mike, Sarah, Cassie, etc., etc. What a blast. Sunday, I played a solo show at Down South in New Germany, Minnesota. A party bus full of crazy Sunday partiers showed up to make things a little interesting for me, but it's always a good time down there. Upcoming shows. Wednesday, March 2nd, 2016, I'll be performing a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota from 8 to 10 p.m. Friday, March 4th, 2016, I'll be playing a solo show at Ingredients in White Bear Lake, Minnesota from 6 to 8.30 p.m. Saturday, March 5th, 2016, Brian K. Johnson and myself will be flying on up to Breezy Point, Minnesota to destroy JJ's Pub at Commander Bar from 5 to 9 p.m. Guest this week is part two of two with the legendary AWA WWE pro wrestling superstar Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. We discuss Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Rapungi, the Road Warriors, etc. 
Also, please stick around for the debut of my new original song, Jumpin' Jim, at the end of the podcast. Enjoy the conversation. Mr. Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, thanks for being on the Mark Stary Music Podcast, part two. Uh, we took a little... 20-minute break here and BS'd about how the world's been going. Now we're back on track on the podcast, and thanks for being on for part two in there, Jim. Well, thanks, Mark. couple shots of loudmouth, and away we go. <laughs> Just kidding. So this year, in a month or so, I'm heading to WrestleMania 32 in Dallas, Texas. First wow. mania I've ever been to, ever. Um, you were lucky enough to be one of the biggest WrestleManias, WrestleMania 3. Do you have any stories about WrestleMania that you could share with some of the listeners? Well, I think WrestleMania three. We didn't know how big it was going to be. You know, here, you know, we we're in the Silverdome, and, and you know, and all of a sudden, people started coming and coming, and and you know, at that time, uh, a lot of the major networks still poo-pooed wrestling, even though we we were on Saturday Night Main Event, which was orchestrated by uh, uh, Dick Ebersol, who helped Vince, who was a good friend of Vince, so they were using the TV production that was the same thing of, you know, Wide World of Sports for uh, the wrestling shows. But <laughs> what really gave uh, a lot of credibility uh, worldwide was uh, WrestleMania three because they had 93,000 people there, and they had just about every network that you can think of in the world. I mean, there was people from uh, Russia there, there was people from Japan, uh, Great Britain, Australia, I mean, everybody. I mean, it was just who's who, and, and it was so, so well done in terms of everything. Uh, the only thing that Brian and I didn't like is they held our match to go right before Hulk and Andres, and and as the evening went on, people got, their patience sort of wore thin, and they put uh, Brian and I on against Volkov and the Sheik, in in sort of a position that people was, didn't really care about. It was fun, but at the same time, as you remember in that match, uh, Jim Duggan ran into the ring, caused us to get disqualified, and we were supposed to be happy that he did it. I mean, so I... <laughs> Who booked that? I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't George Scott. That was a, in, in my book, I mentioned George Scott, God rest his soul, as being one of the uh, wonderful guy, great guy in the ring, but a horrible booker. So a lot of people that are listening that are musicians or performers or interested in that kind of thing, how did you mentally prepare to perform in front of all these people? You know, I think were we you were nervous, or how'd you? How'd you I control don't think that? we were nervous, nervous at all because uh, most of the guys that were in the WWE had already had, you know, pretty good careers where, you know, we we wrestled in front of a lot of people. You know, I mean, when when you think of a stadium, and 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 you're you're working in that ring uh, to dictate the match. So you dictate the match to the people. The people don't dictate to you. So there could be 500 people or they could be, you know, 100,000 people. It's the same. I mean, you just get concentrated on what you're doing in the ring. And uh, it's amazing. Uh, I remember the very first time in St. Paul at the St. Paul Civic Center, Greg Gagne and I were against the East-West Connection. Uh, Adrian Adonis and uh, Jim Janis. And uh, 
We sold that place out. They had 19,200 people there that night. It was the biggest crowd they ever had in the St. Paul Civic Center. The only one that got bigger than that was Bruce when he, when he came, and I think he did 21,000. But we wow. didn't get any acknowledgement for this. And this was in 1980, uh, I want to say 84, 83 or 84, 19,200. And I got the biggest payoff I ever got from Vern. It was $4,654. For that one night. Wow. How long was the match? Mm, about 20 minutes. Who went over? We did. Nice. Shit, they're not going to beat the baby faces. <laughs> God dang. The good hometown guys. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Um, so your finishing move was the drop kick. Um, how did that start up being your finishing move? And did anyone ever get out of it after you put it on them? Well, a lot. Of, see, I, I was I was blessed with a lot of spring. I, I was a high jumping champion and I high jumped and I, I really had a lot of lift. So that was, Vern says, God dang, you'll be a good, you know, drop kicker. So I remember Vern one time put his hand up over his head and I jumped up and kicked his hand with both my feet. And he says, oh geez. So this, this became sort of my calling card. And what I like to do in the course of a match was try to catch a guy off balance, like coming off the ropes, hitting him with the drop kick, and then covering him one, two, three, bing. That was it, and then have him kick out. I, I, the, the quickest it would be, it would be like a, like a quick knockout, boom, the guy would shake his head and get up. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little story about- Go right ahead. I'll, when I went down to um, uh, North Carolina, the very first night I wrestled, I wrestled in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and I wrestled Rene Goulet, who used to wrestle in the AWA. His name, his name was uh, Robert Bedard. He was from Montreal, former hockey player, great hand in wrestling, could do anything, really good. So George Scott, my famous friend and great booker, who I mentioned in the book, uh, <laughs> talking about different uh, finishes that he booked, he said, Jim, <laughs> this is your first night in Spartanburg. He says, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to beat Rene Goulet with six drop kicks. I said, what? He says, six drop kicks. And I said, how about just one? He says, no, six. So during the course of the match, and the match wasn't very long, uh, Rene got some heat. I made a little comeback. And then at first drop kick, I hit him in the forehead. Second drop kick was right on the side of the jaw. Third drop kick, it was below his neck. Fourth drop kick was in his sternum. Fifth one was in his stomach. And the sixth one was a wrestler's way of, uh, of, uh, of vasectomy. So, <laughs> so it, it looked like this, bing, 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 bing. And, 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 and then after the sixth drop kick, I was so tired, I could barely go over and cover him. And I covered Renee, and I said, what the heck? You know? And then I said, I said to George, I said, how about two more next time, you know, and he just turned away. But, I mean, you know, that's like shooting somebody with a gun and knocking them down and then standing over them and shooting six more times. So That's a great story. Um, did you guys ever gig or get any color or anything like that in your matches? Well, uh, you your know. Your forehead looks pretty good right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, actually, I had a couple hard ways with uh, uh, the Sheik. Uh, he, he got nervous one match, and he, he, he had this flag, and he choked me. And we are in Richmond, Virginia, and it was for the um, Mid-Atlantic title, and I had beat him. And he jumped up behind me, and he choked me to the point where I was almost completely out. And then he grabbed me by the hair, and he threw me through 
the ropes and I hit and when I hit this part of my head hit the concrete you can see I had 20, I see it, yeah. 29 stitches and then I went back to the locker room I, I got an ice pack and he says Gene you have to put your hand out there to block the fall <laughs> I says Cosro yes crazy bugger I said yeah damn near choked me you know out of my mind's you know but that, that was that was something you know that happened and you know so a lot of wrestlers are really, really beat up nowadays. Many of them have passed. You look very healthy and shaped. Do you think it's because you were primarily a tag team athlete no. and your bump card wasn't as full as the rest of them, or no. what do you think? Well, I, th I had 5,000 matches, Mark, in oh. the course of 20-some years. And uh, I probably threw 10,000 drop kicks and maybe uh, 1,000 flying head scissors and leapfrogs and whatever, and a, a leg drop. And I have a total shoulder replacement. I have a total knee replacement. I got a partial hip replacement. So from doing the drop kick and breaking my fall with my forearm, it looked like a shock. It was acting like a shock absorber. And I wore this entire joint out. It, when you took an x-ray of it, it, was, it looked like a ball, the type of ball and chain that they used to use back in the Vikings days with the, the little spikes on it. I had oh these huge spurs. So finally, when, the, when uh, uh, Dr. Hartman from uh, uh, orthopedic specialist took it out, and he said, Jim, that was one of the worst shoulder joints I've ever seen. Wow. So... So you have had your bumps and bruises oh, yeah. from the business. Oh, yeah, and, and I probably, well, I had eight surgeries related wow. to wrestling, and now I'm going to have another one on my right shoulder probably uh, this coming spring. So out of all those matches that you worked, what are some that stand out? That's just a, well, a, lot a vague question. Well, but you know, it, whatever. You got a couple that Well, I, I had a couple. I, I had a couple. I think the real test of anybody in this profession is endurance over a period of time. And uh, I remember in one week down in North Carolina, I did three one-hour draws. I did For two. One-hour Broadway, yeah. they call them? Yeah. Yeah. Two with Harley Race and one with Ric Flair. So over the course, and that was in one week. Oh over the course God. of my career, I did three-hour Broadways with Nick Bockwinkle. I did three-hour Broadways with Ric Flair. I did three or four-hour Broadways with Harley Race, and I did one-hour Broadway with Jimmy Snuka in Spartanburg, and I did an hour Broadway with uh, the Iron Sheik in Roanoke, Virginia. And then we did, I did a 45-minute uh, draw in Japan with Jumbo Shiruta, and I had a horrible hangover, and I thought <laughs> I, thought I was going to die. It, the, it was so hot in the ring, and I had, I, we went to this place called the Mississippi Queen in Rapungi, and it was 30 bucks, and you could drink all the vodka you want. So we, we went in there, and I went with Jay Youngblood, God rest his soul, he's dead. Uh, he was uh, Ricky Steamboat's partner, and towards the end of the evening, I was uh, <laughs> looking for, for Jay. I couldn't find him, so I looked all over, and he had passed out and went in between the table and the floor. So I couldn't find him, so I carried him 
back to the cab, got him to the room, and we had to, our match, instead of going on at 5 o'clock, we went on at 2.30. So I went in the ring at about 3.30 and had a 45-minute Broadway. And I thought for sure, my head was pounding, and I thought my liver was going to come out and throw a white flag at everybody. But I did, uh, I took it real easy for the rest of the tour then. Oh, my God. So Terry Funk... Oh, yeah. Released a CD in the, my 80s or 90s, a cowboy CD. I heard a song of It's called Rapungi. He yeah. wrote a song about that town because that was his favorite place to go. But I got to send you that song. It's hilarious. Playing in a club in Rapungi. Breaking all my troubles away. Playing every song on the jukebox. Because that's a what the people want me to play. Watching all the ladies go dancing. See the gold rings on their hands. While they're dancing, they are really romancing. Because you know they want to be with their men. Smoking American cigarettes. So they say Ric Flair is one of the best in-ring in workers. Do you agree with that? How did you like working with Flair? Well, Rick was constantly, I mean, he was the type of guy that went about, if 70 miles was, was the fastest you could go, he would go about 63 the whole match. It was constantly up, down, up, down, up, down, boom, 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 and, and not... There was a lot of high spots, um, whereas guys like Nick Bockwinkle, guys like uh, Dory Funk, uh, guys like Jack Briscoe, Bobby Orton Jr. worked to hold and worked, and then you get out and they'd stop you again and work it. And then, whereas uh, Rick was more, I think he copied, you know. Uh, might have been somebody like Dusty Rhodes, although Dusty could not go. You know, Dusty went 10, 12 minutes, but that up, down, up, down deal, you know, was pretty uh, consistent with with Dusty, and without a doubt, Rick could, he was a master of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, 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 he'd do four-hour Broadways a week. He's, that's what he says on his podcast. Oh, yeah. He, he was incredible. I mean, well, he lived for this business. Still does that. I know it, yeah. He's, matter of fact, um, he was at the Michigan, University of Michigan signing of the football team the other day. And I got, you know, because he, he, he was a Minnesota boy and he claims that he played football at Minnesota, but he, he, here's what he did. He came to the university as a, as a redshirt freshman. He had gone to a prep school one year, came back, he tried out for the football team without enrolling in school. So he was on the football team for less than a week. They found out he wasn't even enrolled in school. So they said, you're off the team. <laughs> but in his book, he, he somehow or other, he played against O.J. Simpson and made a couple tackles against oh, him. Oh, my gosh. Kay Fabin. Yes. Um, so you talk about in your book, your new book, Matt Lands, 
you talk about Hulk Hogan a lot. Like you brought your family. He's an iconic figure that oh, many yeah. of the listeners would know. Without um, a doubt. What's some of your thoughts about Hulk or, or uh, you definitely seem to like him a lot and had a good uh, relationship with him. Uh, what's some of your experiences with Hulk? Well, Hulk was the golden goose. Real quiet kid. Actually a bass player from Tampa. He was a guitar player. I had that. Was he good? Did you ever hear him play? Oh God, yeah. He used to come on the band with the, and he used to do that dun dun. dun the changes by uh, whatever it is. Dun dun Fleetwood dun, Mac. Da, da, dun dun. No. Dun dun dun. Da, da, dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Da, da, dun dun. I'm trying to think oh. of it, but he used to get on and play that uh, with Fragile. My body's going through those changes. I'm trying to think of that. It was a a black artist. I'm. Uh, it wasn't Buddy Guy, but so I've never. He he was good bass player. Oh huh? yeah, yeah, and. Uh, he, he was quiet and real unassuming, and he came here to Minneapolis, and they were going to bring him as a heel, and they had Johnny Valiant, Johnny Sullivan talking, you know, being his manager, and then pretty soon Hulk was, Hulk was beating two guys in the ring, and the people were loving him. And Vern didn't know what to think. Here, all of a sudden, they, they wanted to create this big villain and Hulk became the greatest baby face of all time. Yeah. You know, and, and he, he, it was unbelievable. He came to uh, Minneapolis and just set records all over the AWA. Every place he went was a sellout. And what happened was Vern hit her to Eagle <laughs> because all of a sudden Vern, who was the, you know, the, the one and only greatest boy athlete ever to come out of Minnesota and a, and a world champion for 20 years or whatever it was, all of a sudden these people were talking, you know, Hulk Hogan all the time. And it, and it hurt Vern's ego. So consequently, they never, never gave Terry Bollea, Hulk, yep. the belt. So Hulk went to New York, and, and without him going to New York, the WWE will never have been what it was. He was the, the golden goose, man. He, they ran him to death. But he became so uh, popular and so um, he was the face of the WWE when I started, WWF when I started. And he became such a, a worldwide phenomenon. He was making $50,000 a week in royalties. In royalties. He, in 1985, on Sports Illustrated, they had a picture of Hulk Hogan saying, Sports Tops Banana, making $10 million a year in 1985. Oh, my God. And a great guy, you know. And, and uh, you know, and now the WWE has dropped him because he had some racist rant. But it was Ten all... Ten years out, ago or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was out of context. And I think... Uh, Hulk will be back with the WWE by WrestleMania. I think so, too. Um, I'm going to ask you about another character. I wrote, like I was telling you earlier, I wrote a song uh, on my latest record uh, called Hegstrand's a Killer about the Road Warriors working in the St. Paul Civic Center. And one of my favorite wrestlers is Mike Hegstrand. Sure. And I was wondering if you happen to have a Hegstrand story off the top of your head. Well, see... The Road Warriors were geared and groomed by Ole Anderson down south in Atlanta. And he made them into the image of likeness of what he always wanted to be, was a very powerful, unbeatable force that no matter who was put in the ring against them, they would say 
what they were going to do and do it. And they did it constantly. So to me, Mike and Joe were good, but it, it, it's not very hard to get on the microphone and say, I'm going to beat the, you know, and I'm going to beat the crap out of you, and then go in the Civic Center and beat the crap out of people. And what happened was they created a persona that they couldn't be beat. So when they were going to go against some champions and, and couldn't win, you know, the people that didn't reconcile with their image. Yeah. And, and, and Mike and Joe were uh, really hard to work with in the ring because were they stiff. Well, they were stiff, but they, they, they wanted to beat the crap out of you and not give you anything. So consequently, if, if you went in with them, that's how come they never booked. Greg and I worked with them once or twice, and they couldn't work with it. A wrestling babyface team. They had to work with the wrestling characters, like uh, somebody like the Crusher, and um, the Bruiser or Baron Mad Dog. Yes, somebody like that, where they they could work the characters off each other because they couldn't be put against an athletic type because they would they would either ruin one team or the other, and then it'd be bad for business. Yeah. They were jacked up. Oh they were- God! Well, I you know I remember and 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 this is you know I mean. Uh, whatever Mike's attitude, whatever he can do, I can do so much more and so much better. So, and I like Mike, but he was sometimes he was pretty hard to deal with because he'd get carried away. Oh, gosh. He told me one time, he said, I ain't going down for your drop kick. And I said, well, okay, I'm not going down for your clothesline. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, you know, so he threw me in the ropes and I hang onto the ropes. You know, and, and, and then it all worked out. But, you know, and, and he, you know, died way too young. And I consider Bobby Heenan in my book, I, I say he's the greatest all-around uh, character performer I ever worked with because he, he could do it all. He could work in the ring. He could talk. He, he had the psychology of wrestling down incredibly. You could not have a bad match with him. He was, and he was brilliant, and he used to drink uh, constantly. You know, I remember here one joke that I'll tell. Uh, oh we we do Denver on Friday night. We have to fly home and come back and do TV all day Saturday and at WTCN wrestle on TV and then fly to either Chicago or Milwaukee or Green Bay that night. So everybody would party in Denver and and you couldn't sleep there because of the altitude. So we'd get up and we'd catch an eight o'clock flight, which was an hour earlier here. So we come back and we get to the uh, <laughs> we get to WTCN and Vernon Wally and uh, Al Darush should be mapping out the TV. So Bobby Heenan came up behind Nick and Wally and he was looking over Vern's head and all of a sudden Vern looked back at him and he says he says damn it Heenan and he says you're drunk and Bobby looked at him and he says you can't smell vodka and he walked away. <laughs> Jim, this has been a ton of fun. Um, for people that are interested, what have you been doing since your wrestling career? Well, uh, for the last 
let's see, 17, 17 years, I've been selling for a company called uh, Delco Enterprises, which is a family-owned business in the Twin Cities. We have five branches throughout uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and the UP of Michigan. And this is a family-owned company uh, by the Stark family. And believe it or not, last year we grossed $67 million. We're the Jeez. largest uh, privately owned janitorial uh, sanitation business in the, in the state. Wow. So I sell toilet paper, Mark, <laughs> and I can give you a hell of a deal on one ply or two ply, nice. jumbo or regular. So for the folks that want to pick up your new book, True Stories from the Wrestling Road, Matlands, with your CD with Brian Layton, how do people order your CD well, or, and your book? The, the CD can be purchased right now at Brian Layton Shows. And then also when I do my, uh, you have to look at my Facebook page, uh, when I do some signings, I'll have this uh, uh, Matt Lance, the CD. As far as the book is concerned, uh, you order it on Blurb, which is B-L-U-R-B dot com. Go to Bookstore and type in Matt Lance. You might even be able to Google and type in Matt Lance by Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, and it'll bring you to this. It's $25. It's worth every penny of it. They charge about $6.99 for shipping. And uh, the pictures alone uh, are worth the, uh, the price of the book. So I encourage you, if you're a great uh, uh, fan of wrestling, especially in the Midwest of the AWA in the, in the 70s, 80s, uh, you'll really uh, find it uh, uh, really entertaining. All right, Mr. Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, thank you so much for being on the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. I could talk to you for two weeks straight about your information. Well, we'd have to have a rest. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, thanks, yeah. Mark. It's been thank real fun. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. you being on the show, Jim. Thank, thank you, you very much. Good luck. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We'll see you back here for a new podcast about life and times in the live and local music scene each and every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. Also, if you get a chance, please go check out some live music somewhere. It could be a great and worthwhile experience. Life is short. Go have some fun. Till next time. was just a kid sitting in church, but I don't think Cause my mind wandered out the door Will the hot flyers settle the score? Hallelujah, the bell thinks I'm free Run to my grandma's down the street To watch Jump, Jump and Jim Jump and Jim Jump, Jump and Jim Jump and Jim Saving of the day, Sunday mornings on AWA. With the cinnamon roll and the mountain dew, flip on the scene at 30 inch two. Just in time for Patera and Megwell, taking on my heels, got young and Brazil. Families in the kitchen, gossiping. My eyes and ears are glued to the screen.